We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. Kyle Porter and I have returned from Austin, Texas, doing another podcast. Kyle, we had a lot of fun down there, didn't we? We did. It was a blast. We did our post-game show two days late, uh, but people can... can uh, I posted that on the blog. We did it on Facebook and Periscope. Um, but yeah, Austin's always fun. Got to take the fam down, um, eat some good food. It was kind of a it was kind of a long trip because we made it in like twenty eight hours or so, maybe thirty hours. Um, but I love being down there. Being on that field at the end of it was was really cool. And uh, thankfully for my site, for us talking about Oklahoma State, they came out with a win somehow. I still am not totally sure how it happened. I'll never forget standing next to you down the field when regulations running out. OSU's not even trying to get in field goal range. <laughs> Just that environment got really loud there down the field the, the last music. You know, five minutes. The music they were pumping on the sidelines. And just it's always startling, and I've talked with you about this a bunch, just how different the game looks down on the field level. Like it, it's jarring when you're yeah. down there at field level. It looks like a totally different game than it does up high. We're like, oh, well, why didn't Mason throw it over there? He had a guy wide open. Because down the field it looks like a car crash going on. That's why. Well, <laughs> it's just you- insane. You can't um, – the thing that always is is perplexing to me is – I mean, we're not like super tall human beings, but we're not short either, and I can't see anything. Like, I, I can't – like, I don't understand how short quarterbacks complete any passes ever. You know, like, it, it's uh, – I, I don't know. Yeah. You, you, you can't yeah, you see – Yeah, you got Aaron Cochran at left tackle who's 6'8". How do, how do you throw it to the left? Yeah, you, you can't you can't see what's going on. So, um, yeah, it, it it gives you a greater appreciation for what those guys are capable of doing and how the game kind of unfolds down there. And of course, you and I were ten feet away from Ramon Richards when he made the interception. And there's a great GIF that I tweeted out that you put on your blog as well of your reaction. Your your eyes get about as big as a football. <laughs> And you literally slapped me in the chest so hard I like turned and looked like startled and it's it's a hilarious gif and I'm so happy they captured that moment because just it it was one of the more shocking outcomes of a football game I can remember just as far as the scenario and then what actually took place. Yeah, I mean we're, we were both down there. We talked about this on our on our post game deal a little bit, but we both would have bet a lot of money that Oklahoma State was going to lose that game. It's just the kind of game that a team the tenth ranked team when you play like that, you lose that game, right? And and somehow Oklahoma State has won thirteen out of fourteen with an asterisk, uh when when uh when the game's been decided by ten or fewer points. Like it's 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 really unbelievable how they've been able to escape all these all these games over the over the past two or three years. And and this one might have been the most shocking of them all, just because of the I mean if you would have told me I, I wrote about this, but if you'd have told me before the game that there were 20, uh, 23 total points scored, I, I don't, I don't know what I would have said. I don't know what I would have thought was the outcome. Like what, what would you have said was the outcome? If, if I would have said in our pregame show on channel five, there's only gonna be 23 points scored today, Carson, what, what would you have said who won and, and what was the score? I would have said, OSU won 23 to nothing. And like Ellinger and Bouchelle both got hurt. <laughs> Or Mason Rudolph got hurt and Gundy was running the veer with Wood T and they won twenty three to nothing. 
Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I mean, know. yeah, like then it would have been hard to envision OSU holding Texas to that, and more so Texas holding OSU below twenty would be would have been startling. Let alone you know thirteen. Yeah, and and PFB and eight pointed this out, but the fewest points ever scored by a Gundy team that, that went on to win. The previous record was 15 in his first game. You and I, you remember that game, um, Montana State. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and now the new record is 13. Before this, they I think they were 0-12 when they scored 14 or fewer. But they were 41-0 and when they held an opponent to 14 or fewer. So something had to give. And uh, thankfully for, for Mike Gundy and his team, it was uh, it, they came out on the winning side of it. I mean, how could we forget the Montana State game? It was such an exhilarating performance that, according to Sports Illustrated, boosters were paying players for their just exemplary performance against Montana State. Yeah, that. that. <laughs> Calvin Mickens was getting five hundred dollars handshakes for for holding Montana State to nine points or whatever it was. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you the uh, the box score from that game, September third, two thousand five, Oklahoma State's. Leading rusher was Bobby Reed, six attempts for 82 yards. Uh, leading passer was Donovan Woods. He was 10 for 20 for 117 yards. That's what it felt like Mason Rudolph was on Saturday. Um, wasn't that the game? Was the Montana State the game that um, it might have been the next year? Didn't Bobby Reed line up out wide with Zach under center or, or, or something like that in, in one of those openers? Do you remember that? I have no recollection. Yeah, somebody listening will remember. So email us if if you uh, if you remember that. But Bruce Redden was the uh, was the kicker for Oklahoma State back then. Tommy Tommy D and Daniel McAmore returning uh, punts and kicks. Um, Some names from the past there. Yeah, Jamie Thompson, Lawrence Pinson, Paul Duran, Victor DeGreat, XLK, Nathan Peterson. <laughs> Victor DeGreat is that not one of the best <laughs> names ever? Paget McGee, Calvin Mickens. So that was a decent defense. Yeah, uh, but it kind of speaks to how far OSU's come now. That you know, Brian Keating made this point on our our post game show that uh, you know OSU wins five in a row in Austin, and people are like just up in arms that they in the manner in which they won. Just kind of yep. shows you how far the, the football program's come since two thousand five. Yeah, totally. But I mean, on the flip side of that, you come into the season and, and your own coaches is is. is I don't know if you ever said it, but implying that that you should be contending for the Big Twelve, if not the national title, and then you go to Austin against a a bad offense, and and uh, you know you you win by three points. It's like you, you can look at it from any number of ways, but I, I totally from a from a macro perspective, I totally agree with Brian that uh, you know the bottom line is they're six and one, bowl eligible again, which is always fun, and uh, they still got a chance for the Big Twelve title. I. I, I I, the, our poll question today: Do you still think Oklahoma State will make the Big Twelve title? I, I haven't looked at it, but what is your? Are you a yes or a no on that? Oh, I'm more of a yes than I would have thought after how I felt Saturday, just because OU has real issues as well. Um, I mean, they they really struggle with a, a bad Kansas State team, in my opinion, and they they have their own issues as well. So if OU had just you know destroyed Kansas State, I would definitively say no OSU has no chance but they they certainly have a chance they, they get OSU they get OU at home a lot of it's gonna come down to that West Virginia game and just how the rest of the season plays out but I would say yes they still have a chance yeah um you concerned that West Virginia runs the same defense as Texas <laughs> yes 
I'm concerned with OSU's offense as much as you possibly can be after that performance because it seemed like they let now again no one's going to have Texas's defensive front the the Puna Ford guy just destroyed almost single-handedly OSU's offensive line and West Virginia's defense pretty much stinks I mean they're giving up some of the most yardage in the, in the league so I, I don't think they're going to hold OSU to 13 points obviously but they're going to run the same stuff. They're going to run the same three-man front and, and dare OSU to run it. It's going to be a matter of will they fall into that trap again. Yeah, I know. I, you know, And Adam Lunt, he wrote a really great post about the offensive line. He's been doing some good stuff for us. But he said this about uh, Mike Yurcich. He said he's really bad at in-game adjustments, but then pretty good at game-to-game uh, -game adjustments, so between games. And I, I feel like we've, we've – mostly seen that i don't know if i agree i don't know if i'm as adamant about it as he is um but you, you've got to figure it out you know gundy said on monday he doesn't know if one blade and um who's uh, G uh marcus keys are going to be back no he said keys and and tevin jenkins he doesn't know if they're going to be back he doesn't know if one blade's going to be back you have to figure out a contingency plan for saturday if you don't have those guys back we talked about this on on our on our post game but you don't have to run the ball, you know, and, and that's what they, that's what it seemed like. They felt like they had to do on Saturday. There are different ways to simulate running the ball. And, and I hope that they're able to implement those in time for Saturday. Well, and yeah, and I'm not advocating they don't run the ball at all. I think the manner in which they tried to run the ball was just played right into Texas's hands. They would run it on first down. They would run it on second down. Then you got third and long. And then it's an obvious obvious passing situation it seems like they did that almost every series what i want to see is kind of what they they did earlier in the year when they would spread you out and start throwing it from the jump and then that plays right into the draw game with justice hill they, they need to run with some deception not this lineup on first down and go off tackle they yeah, have to did, be way more unpredictable with the running game than they have did you see uh, did you read Lunt's post on on uh, tuesday today? yeah i mean it was almost so obvious that Texas wanted them to run that you would have been stupid not to, right? Like, I mean, just looking at the way that Texas was set up, you're like, wow, our offensive coordinator would be dumb not to try to run the ball right here, you know? Like, I, I it, it's sort of a lose-lose situation for him. Not that, I mean, yes, he should have done something to figure it out, but it's like, Texas is telling you run the ball against us. And if we lose, that's how we're going to lose. And you tried it and it didn't work. And I, I don't know, like what, you know, what are you supposed to do about that? Well, you got to run something else. I mean, I, that's the problem I have is, okay, yeah, they're telling you to run the ball, but you literally can't do it. So stop <laughs> trying, like try something else. I mean, I know Lunt wrote a big piece about, some of the other things they could and couldn't do, maybe as far as running outside more. Yeah. But I'm sorry, I'm going, I'm going five wide, and I'm just, I'm playing seven on seven. If your, if your secondary can can cover our guys, Grant, you can only run five receivers, and they'll drop, <laughs> they'll drop eight. They'll drop a, ten. <laughs> they'll drop ten. But I'm sorry, you got to, you got to come up with some more schemes. I, I talked about putting Tyron in the backfield, getting him matched up with a linebacker as a running back. That's your that dream. Seems, that's, that seems like an automatic five to ten yards every single time. <laughs> I, I mean, you can think of that on the fly. So yeah, I and I, I wanted to ask Gundy this in the post game, and I really wish I had. Just I I didn't for some reason. Um, I want to know when things are going that poorly, 
What's the conversation like between Mike Gundy and Mike Yersich? And, and to an extent, Mason Rudolph, he's in those conversations yeah. as well. How much is Mike Gundy, how much is he influencing some of the play calling? Did he slow down Yersich? He's like, all right, just run the ball. Texas is going to screw this up. They're, they're dropping too many guys to throw it. I'm scared about throwing an interception. Or did he just take a hands-off approach with, with Yersich and let him be the offensive coordinator? That, to me, is fascinating, and I probably wouldn't have gotten a – the legit answer, anyway. Gundy was you, doing a stand-up comedy routine, but well, you might that's something have. I wish I would. That's something I wish I would have asked. You might have gotten a, a, a good answer just the way he was. He was kind of feeling himself on on Saturday afternoon, but yeah, that that would have been a really good question um, because I, I don't. We all speculate about that all the time, and that would have been the perfect time to ask because rarely does it go that far south. Um, by the way, by the end of the season, you're going to have Tyron like. You're gonna have Oklahoma State running the uh, the Arkansas offense, where they would just line up uh, McFadden and Felix Jones. You can't, <laughs> you're gonna have Tyron and and uh, and Justice Hill back there, just trying to run the Arkansas offense. I would never advocate taking Mason Rudolph out of the game, just like Lincoln, <laughs> just like Lincoln Riley's insane for taking Baker Mayfield out of the game in, in the red zone. And they need to scrap the Wildcat while we're at it. Like it just doesn't well, work with Justice Hill. It's not what he does. Run it, run it with JD King. That, that's I mean the Wild King. Well, and you have red zone issues, and if you make it obvious to the defense you're going to run the ball, like there's no chance Justice Hill's throwing a pass. So like you're basically telling the defense what you're running. That's what I hate about it. Whereas if you have Mason there, he can pull it, and obviously he can pass it. So you just they limited themselves by doing that, and that's a whole other issue. But but yeah, I, I'm all for more Tyron. But I just think that this notion that well, if they if they show us these numbers, we have to run it. No, you don't. Just throw it out wide. Like just throw a quick screen. I mean, the the screen game to Justice worked the few times they ran it, which you've pointed out. So I, I'm fascinated, Kyle, to see what they do against West Virginia because, as we mentioned, that's kind of West Virginia's base defense, too, on top of the fact that everyone's going to copy what Texas and TCU have done. Yeah, I know. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, speaking of Tyron, we need to talk uniforms before we get to our guests this week. You want to talk unis? Oh, yeah. Uh, let's get to this week's uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, orange, white, black. Uh, Justin Southwell called it, although he, he didn't get the right helmet. Uh, were you surprised? What did you think? Um, who, who, who do you think won the uni matchup on Saturday between Texas and Oklahoma State? Oh, I think Texas did. I'm not a big fan. The orange, white, black to me, and before I get to that, it's always funny you ask me if I'm ready to talk uniforms. Like One of these days I'm just going to say, no, I'm not ready. I'm just going to say no. <laughs> of course I'm ready to talk unis. Uh, no, they look like the Cleveland Browns to me with the orange, white, and black look. It just, it, To me, it's always kind of looked like the Cleveland Browns. I don't hate the tricolor look, but I much rather would have seen you know, a black helmet or a white helmet. That's just me. Yeah, I would have. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I just don't like that specific orange helmet. I wanted to see the helmet that Southwell put out there, the uh, – the orange with the, I think he had orange with the badge, but with the paisley uh, stripe down the middle. Bit awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought we were going to see an orange badge helmet before the end of the year, and I think that, that obviously would have been the perfect time if they wanted to wear the orange helmet. So no, I was, I, I thought it was a great look by him. He even came up with the bandana like stripe with it too. So like, uh, I don't know, maybe they've tapped themselves out in the helmet department. I don't know. Have they, they gone, debut a new one? Have they ever gone? Um, I, I can't 
I'm sure they've done this. Orange, black, orange. That, that they've done that, haven't they? We talked about that. Yeah, Iowa State. They did, they did it last year against Iowa State. Yeah. Yeah. Or no, that was might have been two years ago. At, at, uh, have no. they? No, it was last year. Yeah. It was last year, and they've done it before then too, I think. But have they ever done since they've gone to the new uniforms? White, white, orange. Um. I don't think they have since they got the new ones. Yeah. Or even even 20 I don't think since 2011 they've done that. They used to be like an old look back in the 80s and 90s. Even 2000s they'd wear the orange pants, which always looked great instead of going all white. But yeah, um, they, I don't it was know if usually worn the they usually white, white, do orange. like white white black or white white gray. I love the white white gray. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, I just I kind of wish I would have saw the, the the badge helmet, but I I didn't hate the look. I hate to be too hard on it. I I thought it was fine, and, and they were obviously going for the karma there. With you know, since they wore those uniforms, the game turned into the exact same thing in 2015, where <laughs> we're Gundy and trying to win the game, and they somehow won it. Yep, uh, it was uh, flashbacks to the fullest. Uh, who was a, your uh, uni silver medal? Uh. I I might get I, we we don't give this guy a lot of love, but I I feel like he does a pretty good job. Uh, Ramon, yeah, I, I've, I, I've given him a silver medal or two this year. Have you? Yeah. I usually go Trey Flowers if I'm going secondary, but I, I'm a big yeah I'm a Ramon guy. I don't I still don't know if I like it that he wears seven. Like I love it that Calvin Bundage wears one. I, I like the linebackers or the defensive ends to be single digits. I don't know if I like that out of a out of a safety. I don't know. Well, he's, he, just, well he was he was a corner, right? I mean, that's when he picked yeah, seven. I guess I just don't really like seven on defense. Maybe. I, I love it. Seven's one of my favorite numbers, so I, I love the number seven. Um, yeah, but yeah, I'll, I'll go Ramon. He, he's got the hair too. He's got great hair. <laughs> he's got the multicolored hair. Yeah, it's, it's hard, fantastic. hard to pull I'll, off. But it fits I love him. it. It's fantastic. No, and it was really cool to see him uh, jump in the stands and celebrate with his family after the game. I know you were filming it for PFB. Yeah, it was that was great. That was a really was, cool moment. He was so he was so um, he he. I think he's always just fun to be around, and especially so talking to him in the post game. He was just you could see you could just tell like how happy he was and how excited he was to have uh, to have made that, that last second. I mean, it was just, I don't know. It, it was, you kind of had to be there, I guess, but I, I just thought the whole moment was pretty cool. Well, and Gundy kind of mentioned the fact, you know, when he was a kid, Kyle, he his spine had to be fused and there was a time where his mom was weighing whether they should have surgery or not. And if, if that didn't go well, he'd be in a wheelchair and they just elected to not do it in his back because his back was really bothering him as a kid. And they just elected not to have surgery, and his symptoms ultimately went away. And Gundy kind of mentioned in the post game that it's a miracle he's even walking, let alone yeah. playing big time college football, which is a really cool story. Um, yeah, but that was awesome. Uh, my guy, I got to go with Darian Daniels, the big fella. He danced. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just putting too much stock in it because he danced, but he, he sings, wears he dances. Yeah, like I love I love big fella. Um, I'll go Darian Daniels, Kyle, and also as you and I were down in the field. You know, I thought Adam Lunt wrote about this and how disruptive Darian Daniels was, said it was his best game of his career. You know, we're down in the field, and it's Texas has the ball. It's We think they're going to win. And this, these cheerleaders for Texas behind me are going, this one is just screaming her head off, going, block 79, you have to block 79. He's killing us. Seven. She started yelling 79 over and over and over. <laughs> so that tells you the impact Darian Daniels was having, that a cheerleader – 
is identifying a defensive tackle as the the player to stop. Yeah. So I thought that that I mainly I just wanted to tell that story is why I'm giving it to Aaron Daniels. <laughs> It it was yeah it, it's it's hilarious to just just the things that you hear down on the field from fans and we were next to uh, who's who's the uh, the radio guy for Texas Quan uh, Cosby yeah Quan Cosby and just the things that he was saying to other people down there that that uh, we probably shouldn't share like it, it's it's an experience it, it is really hilarious and and sort of surreal. Uh, can you give me a uh, can you give me a censored version of what he was saying? You were closer. I couldn't under- make out what he was saying. Well, he he was uh, he was every. Well, I'll put it this way: he was every Oklahoma State fan uh, towards Mike Yersich, but on the other side. <laughs> well, <laughs> he had a he had a headset and a microphone on. He's got to be careful with that if he's being a little too uh, loose with the I, mic. I know it was uh, it was it was pretty hilarious, but. Um, yeah, I, I I don't I don't really know where I was going with that, but well, as bad as uh, as bad as Yersich was getting roasted, the Texas defensive coordinator in Austin was getting just as much so. So it was a bad performance for both. Uh, you mean offensive coordinator? Uh, yeah. Did I say defense? I meant yeah, I was gonna say their defensive coordinator should should be getting a, a raise or like an extension <laughs> or something. Um, I thought Texas unis were uh were pretty good too. I I'm. As everyone knows, I'm pretty partial to to what they wear, but uh, it was a it was a solid uni matchup. But we're we're on uh, this is the, this week is the uh, one year anniversary in terms of actual game of what I think was maybe one of the best uni matchups in Big Twelve history: Oklahoma State West Virginia. That's a little strong for me, but it was a really good matchup. You had OSU in the black throwback helmet, orange jersey, white pants, and then you had West Virginia wearing what? Yellow, white, yellow, gold, white, gold. Uh, I thought they were tricolor too, like blue, white, gold, or something like that. Uh, that's right. That's why you loved it so much. It yeah. was two tricolors. I know. Um, I did a I did a post today, Carson, on 2017 offense versus 2011. Would you believe that the 2017 offense is still outpacing 2011? I would not believe that. That's true. It's true. Uh, 2017. Uh, 7.8 yards per play through seven games, 2011, 6.6 yards per play through seven games. Part so, of that is, part of that is, um, Brandon Weed not playing in second halves in big 12 play. <laughs> well, I mean, Mason Rudolph didn't play in second halves for, you know, Baylor, Pitt, Tulsa. That's true. Um, so yeah, but uh, 2011 didn't score 13 points in an entire game in overtime. <laughs> No, their lowest ever was uh, 31, or no, 30 against A&M. Then they scored 31 in overtime against Iowa State. But uh, points per drive, 2017, 3.24, 2011, uh, 3.20. So they're kind of right on the same numbers there. But uh, I was surprised that uh, Rudolph is averaging like 30 more yards a game than Whedon was through seven games in 2011. It doesn't really feel like that, does it? Say that again. Rudolph's averaging three, 30 more yards a game throwing than, than Whedon was. Wow. That's that's a stunning number because, I mean, it's not like they were running the ball way more in 2011. I mean, they had a better running game, obviously, with their offensive line, but that's, but even, uh, that's, okay. that's surprising. Here's another number. In 2011, they, through seven games, they averaged 4.6 yards a carry. 
which is pretty good. I mean, five is is great. Uh, 2017, they're averaging 4.9 yards a carry, Carson. They're they're averaging more yards a carry through seven games in 2017 than they were in 2011. Hmm. That is that is. I mean, I I don't I don't even understand that. I don't know if I I don't I don't get it. I don't I don't know. What, what what's your takeaway from that? That doesn't make sense. No. <laughs> I mean. We remember the running game fondly back in 2011. They had Jeremy Smith and Joseph Randall, just the, the two-headed monster they had back then. Um, that's surprising, and it, I guess it speaks to you defending Mike Yursich all season, which, I, again, I'm not one of the fire Yursich people by any means, but yeah, I do agree with Lunt in that they sometimes fail to adjust very well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, Scott Sutton, hired by Oklahoma State. Were you surprised when you saw the news? I was shocked, uh, but it makes a lot of sense. You know, they had a kind of an unusual opening, obviously, with Lamont Evans being let go, and with the way Scott Sutton was let go at ORU, it was kind of meant to be almost, just in, in how the, those two openings both occurred. Uh, and it's it's really cool for Scott. You know, he he did a really good job at ORU and was hamstrung by some of their requirements for players and. Uh, it's got to be a dream come true for him. I can remember going to old Gallagher when Scott and Sean played. So it, it's a reminder I'm getting old, but it's also really cool that he'll be there'll be a Sutton coaching on Sutton Court. And I think he can really help out Mike Boynton in a, for a first-year head coach to have a guy with the experience that Scott Sutton has. I thought it was a home run hire. Do you think it can become a distraction? Because I saw some people already saying, well, whenever Boynton fails, if he fails, you got a guy. You got, you got your next guy. And it's like, okay we need to just chill out about this and, and take it for what it is. Do you think there's any chance of it becoming a distraction? Yeah. I mean, I think anytime they lose a game, everybody's going to be like, well, why isn't Scott the head coach? So I, I can see that happening for sure, but maybe because he went eight and 22 at ORU last year. Yeah. But again, if you, if you know the situation, there's a reason he was, he wasn't, he wasn't allowed to recruit athletes. They had to be, you know, Christian first and foremost before they could be legit division one athletes. Once they started implementing these changes to who he could recruit, his record fell off a cliff. Yeah. That's not a, that's not a coincidence. He's still a really good coach. Yeah. No, you're right. That could be, that could be a distraction amongst the fans. Everybody's going to yell, well, Scott, give Scott the whistle. (laughs) So, but I mean, I don't think Boynton would have hired him if he thought it was going to be too big of a distraction. I hope to, I hope to someday love my kids as much as I love your old man Gallagher. I voice. (laughs) <laughs> yelling I'm, I'm i'm here for yelling guy i want to hear yelling guy more this year which we probably will because there won't be as many fans as they were <laughs> under underwood give scott the whistle <laughs> <laughs> can't you read the floor it says sutton court scott's the head man it's sort of a uh, a distant cousin to your um gundy bedlam voice <laughs> junior junior no we gotta take a knee uh, there's a there's a new junior, by the way. One of the offensive linemen is named Junior, and uh, Gundy talking about him in his in his post game brought back memories from <laughs> from last year. Wait, who's I Junior? Oh, I I can't pronounce either of his names. He's I think he's a, one of the Samoan guys. Okay, and they call him Junior. I I don't I don't know. Um, <laughs> but he's like but, the he's like the third string guard that they had to put in. No, but I'm, I'm I'm actually really happy for Scott. So that's that's a cool deal and happy for him. And I guess Eddie's going to be around more. Eddie was at one of the practices recently. That was good to see. 
Yeah, it was cool. Uh, they're having an open practice tonight in Stillwater. We're, we're sending a photographer there, and uh, so that that should be that should be kind of cool. I, I don't, you know, Big Twelve Media Days was on Tuesday. Boynton spoke. He didn't say a lot in his press conference. It was very just kind of the stock answers. Address the FBI thing with a stock answer. Um, I don't know, Carson. I I I like their guys. Carol's great. Um, I think. Uh, what's the kid Zach uh Zach Dawson the freshman I think he's gonna be pretty good I think the transfer uh has a chance to be good but this could go badly couldn't it like there was a question at the very end of of Boynton's presser and and he was asked about the other coaches in the big 12 he's like well yeah I've talked to some of them it's not like they're gonna you know give me any secrets on how to beat them and it was just it was such a reminder to me of like this is gonna be a baptism by some of the best coaches in the country and I don't know if I'm gonna be able to watch <laughs> you're already you're already thinking doomsday scenarios well it's just it, it, it's it's not his fault he's never he's never coached a basketball I mean he's never been the head coach of a team before and all of a sudden you're you know coaching against Bill Self in the last five minutes of a Big 12 game? What's, how's that going to go? Well, it's, he's going to get outcoached. I mean, this, is, this league is absolutely absurd. I think every coach has made a Sweet 16 or maybe a, has at least made the tournament and won a game. So, I mean, it's going to be you – know, he's going to be behind the eight ball there. But I, I think they're going to be better than people think. I don't think they're going to be 10th in the league, no. especially if Jeffrey Carroll's playing. I mean, Jeffrey Carroll's, you know – First team All Big Twelve preseason, you know, leading leading score leading returning scorer in the Big Twelve, and I really like those two transfers they got too. So I think they're going to be a lot better than people are giving them credit for. It's just you mentioned the coaching. I mean, they're going up against just a murderer's row of coaches, so it's going to be a learning curve. And I think that's why you hire Scott Sutton, the guy who's you know Scott Sutton's won in Lawrence, which is more than almost every coach in, in OSU history can say. So it'll be it'll be good to have him on the bench. To, have, we haven't talked about the basketball uniforms yet, have we? Have you seen Tra- these? Tra- Travis Ford won in Lawrence, by the way. Should have won twice. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen uh, the basketball I have, uniforms? I have seen them. I like the oranges. I like the whites. I don't like the blacks. The blacks have the brand on them, don't they? Yep. I don't. I don't like it. It looks like a uh, it looks like a practice jersey, kind of. Well, and they have. Pete on just one side of the shorts, giant Pete, not little Bo <laughs> Pete. And they have the bandana print on the sidelines. Like I like the bandana print. Okay. I, I don't really love it, but there's too much of it on the basketball uniform. The, the Paisley just kind of looks, I don't want to say girly, but a little finessey to me, you know, run down the sides. I don't like, like they're, that. Like, do you think they're trying too hard doing too much? I get. I mean, I get what they're doing, kind of pairing with the football uniforms, and the Paisleys kind of become a thing now. They put them on those official Nike shoes too. Um, I don't know. I'm underwhelmed, and I don't see any cursive that I was promised yet. Maybe those will be on some. <laughs> apparently, of the- apparently they have a, a few more to unveil, like six total, maybe. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, I I like I I am a fan of them sort of matching up the. Um, the football font and the basketball font. I think that's cool. I'm in on that. I like the badge on the on the uh, waistband. I think that's cool. I don't like Giant Pete, and I don't like the black brand. It, it it's it's all right, but it just looks kind of practice uniformy to me. I way, like. Are you, are you surprised they chose brand over badge on the on the unis? 
shocked. I didn't think they knew what the brand was <laughs> or where to find it. They had to go into like the bowels of the school, like emblems, and, and like it's like uh, Raiders of the Last Ark and Indiana Jones, where he has to go through this like temple to find the buried treasure. They had to like go find the bat or the brand somewhere. <laughs> it's been hidden. But uh, I would have preferred the the badge instead of Pete on the shorts. I thought that would have looked cool. Um, but I I do like the as you mentioned the pairing with the football, and that's that's what they did the last um, instance of the uniforms. That alarm clock font and alarm clock script came directly from you know the field on at Boone Pickens Stadium and the jerseys from the Les Miles era. So finally they've they've updated that. So that's a positive, and I don't hate them. I just I just, I could do without the Paisley and the Pete on the shorts, but that's just me. That's my personal preference. I know some people will disagree. Yeah. I like the oranges. I, I think the oranges are a lot better now. Um, okay. we Before we get to our guest, we're going to call him in just a second, but we need to hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit, and then we will be back to uh, introduce our guest. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Uh, okay, Carson, uh, today we are going to call um, one of my good friends uh, from the golf world, uh, Chris Solomon, who runs uh, the No Laying Up website slash podcast. Uh, he's a, uh, you didn't know this until today, but he's, he's a big West Virginia fan. I, I don't know if he's a big Dana Holgerson fan, but he's uh, been a big West Virginia fan for as long as I've known him. And so we're going to talk to him about um, just what he thinks about the game this weekend. He's like an international man of mystery. He lives in. He used to live in the Netherlands. Travels the world covering golf, and he's a West Virginia fan. I never would have guessed. Yeah, you can you can ask him about all those things when we uh, when we call him. So here we go. It's time for the Coop Ale Works guest of the week. Coop Ale Works brewing great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the Bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale, the refreshing Horny Toad Blonde. For your next watch party, tailgate, or get together with friends, enjoy a cold Coupe Works, and please remember to drink responsibly. Okay, uh, we've got Chris Solomon on the line from uh, a country to be ter- determined later. Uh, Sally, where are you right now? I, I honestly, legitimately don't know what city I'm currently in because <laughs> I got, I, I got like a ride out somewhere to a hotel in uh, somewhere. Somewhere about an hour east of Seoul in uh, in the Re- Republic of Korea at the moment, but I, I legitimately can't tell you what city I'm in right now. What brings you to Korea? Uh, I was in Korea to cover the CJ Cup last week, the PGA Tour's first ever tournament uh, in South Korea, and I had some time. I, I wanted to kind of leverage that trip to do some personal stuff, so I came to mainland Korea and uh, I wanted to play a few golf courses out here. So I'm doing that for a couple of days, and then. Heading home. I've been in Asia for a little over, a little over a couple weeks now, so I'm getting close to being ready to be home. But it's kind of tough to operate on, on business hours on this side of the world. It's currently like 6 a.m. for me, and on Wednesday, mo- t- Wednesday morning, and it's Tuesday afternoon for you guys. Is that right? Yeah, yep. I, I, I texted, <laughs> I texted Sally before he went to bed on Tuesday night, 
And then he, and then I was up the whole time. He slept. Then he woke up early for us. So, uh, so he obviously runs the uh, the No Laying Up uh, Twitter account, website, podcast, etc. I think Sully, I was thinking about this. I think it says a lot about where our current podcasts are at that you just had the PGA Tour commissioner on, and I'm having you on my podcast. Like that's uh, <laughs> maybe maybe not the best thing for for my podcast, well, but just. No, go ahead. What's funny is you uh, like it was really obviously with the time zones like not convenient for me to tr- to try to come come on, but you have been on mine so many times that you should be receiving some money from our sponsors. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so it was like you have to make time for Kyle Porter in a podcast. And Britt, before we get started on anything, I need to say as someone that has done a side pr- uh, project as a passion project, I can I don't know the the demographic or volume of your listenership but i can promise you they don't fully appreciate the time and effort that goes into what you do for for the oklahoma state football basketball stuff because i've seen it and done it and we always like to joke that somehow like on our golf side we we just like often forget that you have this quite successful oklahoma state website that we don't ever talk about so for your listeners and followers any support uh, you can give to kyle i can i can vouch it's a huge huge effort Enough buttering you up, though. That's it. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that. I think Kyle's taking a victory lap outside his shed right now, actually. <laughs> He's just leaning back like Will Ferrell, fist pumping in the air like in Wedding Crashers. Yeah, for sure. Well, he, he texted me. He said, we're going to have you on. And I was like, Kyle, it's it's football season. We can't be talking about Ricky Fowler's chances to win his first major in the middle of football season. But apparently you're a West Virginia fan. Did, did you go to school there or did you just become a West no. Virginia fan growing up? I was I was born there and I lived there for about six years and my parents are still season ticket holders. They both went there, uh, so they they lived there for about thirty five years and uh, the the football the fandom of West Virginia runs through my entire family, both sides of my of my parents' family. So uh, I was just probably an unhealthy diehard fan up until twelve one oh seven, which uh, in West Virginia fan speak is a date that uh, doesn't need any further explanation, but. We weren't quite Big 12 quote unquote rivals yet, so that was that was the night that all we had to do was beat Pitt at home as 28 point favorites to go to the national championship, and we lost 13-9. And I, I, I got to be honest, I didn't take that very well as a 21 year old, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it like emotionally scarred me. And I was realizing that I was taking sports way too seriously. And uh, honestly, since then, I just have not allowed myself to be as big of a fan. But I spent the last three years living abroad. And then football just kind of falls off the radar when it's not in the in the right time zone. So, uh, my my, if we're going for technical knowledge on this matchup, then this might actually get pretty hilarious because my knowledge <laughs> is not that great anymore. <laughs> well, I, I'm curious because we don't we don't interact being in you know in uh, kind of the middle of Big Twelve country, and te- I'm in Texas, obviously, and Carson's in Oklahoma. We don't interact with a ton of West Virginia fans. I'm curious about just generally what West Virginia fans think about Dana Holgerson. He was at Oklahoma state for a year and obviously he's been at West Virginia since then. Is there, you know, do, do West Virginia fans embrace him? Do they like him? Do they dislike him? What's, what's the general feeling? I would say a strong like, but like any fan base, it's, it's probably irrational criticism in that I, I know I had absolutely huge hopes for Holgerson because I saw what he did at Oklahoma State. I would I would tune in, especially after 
I forget the bowl game you guys played when we had already signed him, but he was still a coach, and I was just running around the family room in circles because I was kind of <laughs> offensive coordinator. I thought we needed. I mean, it was it was awesome. I needed a towel after that. I was like sweating from from all the different offensive packages he was bringing and the formations <laughs> and how well they ran the ball and and he had such a stacked team coming in with. Uh, Geno Smith, Stedman Bailey, and Tavon Austin. That we we expected huge things, and the defense was just horrendous to start. And, and we probably kind of lost perspective on like the kind of recruiting you can do at Oklahoma State versus the kind of recruiting you can do at West Virginia. And it's we had an unbelievable run under Rich Rodriguez, and uh, like our expectations as fans shifted a lot as to what kind of program we were, without really looking at reality and uh, I mean if, if Holgerson had been more successful at West Virginia to this point he probably wouldn't still be here it's just it, to a different level and probably less of a level than than what you guys experience it's it's not like a destiny it's most definitely not a destination program I would put Oklahoma State's pedigree up ab- above West Virginia's but it's not like we're gonna be a top 10 team perennially we have to kind of take take what we can get and be be pretty overall satisfied with what we've got he's definitely been very very far from a disaster and it's 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 a challenge to coach in this conference from you know being almost on the eastern in the eastern seaboard and uh, traveling all the distances we do to play the big 12 games so overall i think we got to say pretty successful tenure so far i remember that bowl game it was the alamo bowl osu was in and dana was just he had the headset off he was chugging red bulls on the sidelines i'm I'm sure that's what got you all fired up for sure i was doing the same exact thing i just didn't have a shirt on (laughs) well the (laughs) Uh, that sounds like Mike Gundy. He takes his shirt off too at, at homecoming. But uh, the parallels, the parallels are pretty similar. Solly, you mentioned the 07 West Virginia uh, debacle. Well, OSU had the same thing happen against Iowa State. All they had to do was beat Iowa State and presumably OU, which they dominated to get to the national title game. But they also both those teams went to the Fiesta Bowl and won in in uh, dominating fashion. I covered the West Virginia versus Oklahoma game in 07 after they failed to beat Pittsburgh, and they just absolutely mopped the floor with Sam Bradford and a really good OU team. So it kind of speaks to how good that 07 team was back then. Oh, my goodness. That team, that's why it was so hard is we would have played Ohio State for the championship, and we would have mopped the floor with them. Like People forget, people forget how people good Pat forget. White was. I know. As soon as I said it, I knew it. But people forget how good Pat White was. I mean, he was just an unstoppable force. Offensive line was so good back then. We just ran it three straight plays, and you could, you just couldn't stop it with Slayton, Noel Devine, and and our defense was actually really good back then, which has been gone for the last ten years. So, yeah, thanks for reminding me again about how amazing the 017 was <laughs> and how we should have won the national title, and my entire life would have been different. But that's not reality. <laughs> Was that your favorite uh, uh, football or basketball team growing up? That that uh, yeah. that oh seven West well, Virginia team. I was twenty one years old. I was in college at Miami of Ohio, and I drove five hours to Morgantown for every home game that year, plus two road games. Wow! So to that that was I mean, it was the most fun ride that you could imagine, and to have it all come down to that <laughs> that night. And that cold, stupid night on December first, two thousand seven. It just, it it was it was like the worst possible setup. Like I, I, I they had lost the game prior in the year, but had recovered and 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 I just thought it was it was a it was a non-factor that game. It wasn't even a thought. I thought we were going to beat them by fifty, and uh, we were, we intercepted the first possession. We uh, Antonio Lewis picked one off, ran it back inside the pit five yard line, 
and I thought we were going to win by 60 then, and then we didn't even score out of that. So, so glad, I'm glad I'm here to re- relive that night. How did you not start a, a West Virginia blog before you started? Because I gave up after that. Rich Rod left. After, like the, the chain of events that happened, I did not give up for the record. But it was uh, I was spending way too much time on West Virginia message boards and stuff back then, getting just ingrained in that just high society and, uh, <laughs> and uh, probably should have done it, but – uh, no, I just couldn't, couldn't, I, I, part of the energy, my energy towards college sports has faded a bit over the years, but man, if we were, if we were sitting here eight and oh talking, we probably wouldn't be saying the same thing. Carson, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, my, uh, maybe my favorite team of all time in any sport was the West Virginia team that had Kevin Pitsnoggle on it and Mike Ganzi. Yes, yes. Tell me tell me you were a fan of those guys and went and traveled five hours to watch those guys play. Because I, I lived and died by their run when they made it, I think, to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, those back-to-back years. I love that team so much. Oh, you want you want some? You ready for some more heartbreak? Uh, up by 20 <laughs> in the first half against Louisville, that team in the uh, – in the uh, I forget which bracket we were in – in the Elite Eight. Uh, my dad booked plane tickets to go see, to the final four and we lost that game too. So any, any, you have anything else? Do you have anything else you want to remind me of or take me back to? I thought we were here to talk about the future. I'm not here to talk about the past. <laughs> well, let's talk about something. Let's talk about something positive. You've obviously, uh, started, started something amazing at, at no line up. And I think a lot of people that <clears throat> follow, uh, you know, either my writing and golf or even, I, I mean, I reference your stuff on, on uh, pistols firing all the time, but um, just what is, what have the last couple of years been like? And what, what has been, I've always wanted to ask you this, but what has been the moment that it, that it clicked for you that it was like, Holy crap. Like, I can't believe this is the life that I get to live having these top five players in the world on the podcast, talking to the PGA tour commissioner, all that. What, what's the moment where it really crystallized for you? I think it was with you, or, or, or uh, you were in the vicinity. You weren't with me at the exact moment, but um, <clears throat> I was living in Amsterdam, kind of as this thing had risen and taken off to a level that I don't think I fully, really understood. Um, and so I went back for the uh, Ryder Cup last year at Hazeltine, and leading up to the uh, Ryder Cup, I had been tweeting a lot about how I wanted Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka to get paired together on the U.S. side. Just thought that would be a fun fun pairing to watch and they didn't get paired together until the very last session and they're paired against Rory McIlroy and Thomas Peters and we had, I'd had a couple inter- like very minor interactions with Rory leading up to uh, that, that final match or just throughout that week and together Rory tees off and I'm sitting on back by on a bench back by the ninth tee and he just comes over and sits down next to me points at the at, at Kepka and DJ again the pairing that I wanted and he goes hey you got your wish and that's when I was like <laughs> oh my god like these guys are actually reading what we say a remember it and are <laughs> noticing it enough to come talk to me about it in the middle of the Ryder Cup and kind of taunt me about it like it was a total taunting gesture on his part and it was awesome and I was like okay I don't think I fully understood what was really going on here and that it had it had gained that much traction so that's kind of the moment I go back to, but there's been a ton of little moments along the way too that are just like, is that is he really is he really calling me right now? Is this a real a real situation? But it has gotten you do get more and more used to it as it goes along. But there's definitely been a lot of moments along the way that you just kind of pinch yourself. It's like, is this is this really what reality is for me now? 
didn't you actually have Rory on the podcast after that? Like recently, actually? Yeah, he was on about a month after the Ryder Cup last year. Loved it so much that he wanted to come. He offered to come back for part two a couple months later. And then we sat down uh, just this past fall, this past September in Chicago with the BMW Championship. We sat down for two hours and had a two-part episode, which is really his third go-around on there. So uh, he's he's really enjoyed the style of just you know, giving the players the chance to tell their own story and not have to give press conference-like answers and worry about how it's going to get, get clipped and taken out of context. And letting them tell their own story over a pretty long period of time in a long interview has been very appealing to the players. And it's kind of a safe place too. We're not gonna. Uh, I don't. I don't try to ask him too many tough questions, but just try to get him talking. I think you know, some people get on me for saying you know that the interviews are softball and whatnot, but you get kind of more out of guys when you get them comfortable and let them open up. But asking hard questions isn't necessarily the best way to get the best answers out of people. So uh, we've been fortunate enough that once once Rory came on, it was a lot easier to kind of tell people like, hey, you know, this top player has done this. It was very good for him. He enjoyed it. Your player might as join as well, or you as a player, you might enjoy it as well. So it's been a crazy chain of events and just kind of culminated again with having the commissioner on this most recent episode. Who Who's your dream guest? I think we've talked about this a little bit offline, but who, who's the one guy that you're like, if I could get that guy and, and just start going down the list? I mean, the big cat would be like the biggest get, but I'm not positive he would be the best podcast. It would have to be, you know, he, he he'd have to be kind of familiar with the style and whatnot, and be ready to to open up and freewheel a little bit, which I'm not sure he would. But uh, I've gotten, I've at least gotten traction and interest from Phil, and he's aware of it and has kind of semi agreed to do it. But I'm not positive that he has, but. I think Phil would be the absolute the absolute dream guest, but honestly, it's hard to get better than than what we've gotten out of Rory. And uh, even some of the some of the not as famous or accomplished players have given some just unbelievably open and honest interviews. So I don't, uh, you know, it's hard to it's hard to like look at what we've done and say, oh, I, I need to have that guy. Got to have that because we're so lucky to. Have, had the success that we've had but if i if you're going to pin me down i'm probably going to say phil is, is the white whale and after that i'm not sure what's going to it's going i'm going to it's going to be like tiger when he got to number one it's like i don't know what to do with my myself anymore <laughs> I just, I just, what's gonna, the purpose of continuing you're going to rebuild your swing it's going to go badly for a couple of years <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to go to a dark place what was more exciting, seeing a Red Bull swilling offensive coordinator becoming your head coach, or seeing Tiger's stinger video he put out on Twitter? Uh, I think this—it's funny, just the overreaction anytime he put, put a video out. But this last one, I was like, "All right, all right, let's do it." He's gonna be, <laughs> he's gonna be club twirling and stuff. Like, let's do it. Let's let's get excited because I think he's gonna probably be playing pretty soon. And uh, I mean, I'm not that excited for the product, but it, it it does garner interest, and it's interesting to watch this guy make yet another comeback. So. Well, one one guy that or a couple guys that uh, our listeners would be interested in is uh, Charles Howell and, and Ricky Fowler. I know you've had interactions with them. Just you know, we, we've had Charles Howell on here, and he's been awesome. But I guess kind of tell people just how how your interactions with Howell have gone, and and how um, I don't know. He he just he just seems like the best dude in the world, and and I know that you've kind of had that experience as well. He is the best. So last year at the memorial, I was I. I I had very little like inside the ropes experience at this point, and I was, I was uh, just kind of walk. Felt like I was walking on eggshells being there, and I, I was an idiot, and I was wearing like my no laying up T-shirt inside the ropes, which is just a looking back like quite a big no no. <laughs> 
try to be as subtle as you can. Anyways, I'm walking down the range and Charles Howell starts walking directly towards me and I've never had any interaction with him before. And, you know, he's, he's not even on Twitter as far as I can tell. And he's kind of got this confused look on his face and is coming directly towards me. He was hitting balls. And I was like, did I, did I say something bad about Charles Howell? Is this guy about to punch me like in front of all these people? Like I knew nothing about him. And, uh, he's like, are you from the good no laying up guy? I was like, yeah, I'm one of them. And, uh, hoping I could, uh, you know, say, Oh, that was someone else that said something bad about you, not me. And, uh, and he's like, I just want to shake your hand. I love your stuff, man. And we just, I was like, first breathe a sigh of relief. And second, we just sat there and chatted for five minutes on the range and, uh, developed a friendship on that. He's been on the podcast a couple times and it's just a friendly face to see on the road. And, but like, like you said, you just can't, you, you, I, I don't know. I didn't never, I guess, heard him really speak before we had spoke on the podcast. And I don't think I knew how like outgoing and open of a guy he was. I kind of viewed him as a, a straight cut from the cloth guy and like a rather boring guy. Yeah. Uh, but I think he just needed a, needed a microphone in front of him and he was, he was fantastic. I still keep in close touch with him. He told an unbelievable story when he was with Tiger in like South Africa or something, how they were in these shark infested waters and Big Cat just jumped in the water and like swam across. Like, is he, did he tell you that story? Cause he told yeah, a lot of Yeah. So they were going, um, yeah, they, they were, they were going looking for sharks, shark diving, and they didn't see anything for like eight hours. They were like chumming the water for like eight hours. And, uh, they finally, t- finally, Tiger just got bored. And just jumped in the water and started swimming towards this seal island off the coast of South Africa. And how he just was not, it just had no fear. And Hal was thinking, well, here we go. It's going to be my fault that Tiger gets eaten alive by a shark off the coast of South Africa. And uh, I think <laughs> I think Tiger ended up turning around after everyone yelled at him to get back in the boat. But yeah, that was, I love that story. Yeah, that was, that was the best. Um, well, tell us about... I don't know how much you can reveal or how much you want to keep kind of close to the vest, but just about 2018, uh, I think everybody knows you uh, quit your job in the Netherlands, came back to the U.S. and are are do, doing no laying up full time. So what what do you guys have planned for 2018 and, and what can um, kind of people that consume golf expect from you guys going forward? Yeah, well, it, like you said, I, it's now a full-time gig for me. As of the last three months or so, I've been doing this all day, every day, and I've uh, been kind of consumed by it. But it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been you know everything we've we've kind of done is kind of the way you've done it, which is a side project and a bit of a passion project. And it's gotten to the point where it makes a lot of sense. We've received enough interest from sponsors that we could make it make sense financially for at least one guy to come on full time. And the plan is to hopefully have at least, you know, maybe two more come on full time some point in 2018. And um, I'm going to be moving down to Jacksonville eventually. And kind of, we're going to set up a sort of de facto office down there and kind of get together on a, on a daily basis and treat this like a real media company rather than just some side project and blog that we've done on the side. So going to be doing a lot more video work but at the same time our kind of goal is to keep uh, keep everything we have currently keep it going so the podcast is not going to change it's actually going to increase in frequency but also continue to do more and, and new stuff so uh, the fan people that are fans of what we currently do nothing is changing in that regard but there's going to be more opportunities for more content from us into the future and hoping to do a lot more stuff on travel and kind of celebrate a bit more of golf lifestyle and not necessarily just pga tour golf so Big, big plans, big, uh, big goals, big expectations for next year, and we're uh, we're kind of we're we're not we're not we're not you know too embarrassed to say it out loud because we won't 
we want to kind of uh, motivate ourselves as well to, to keep producing content and make sure it's it, not just content for content's sake, but uh, good content. So I think did I use that buzzword enough? Content, content, content. Yeah, I think so. I think you I think you hit all the buzzwords. I, is it? I think so. Because I've experienced this. Is it? Is it? Um, has it become more fun or less fun since you've started doing it full time? That is a really good question. Um, I'm going to say more fun just sometimes 60 hours a week. Uh, and I had a very busy travel schedule as well when I lived abroad. My, uh, I got, you know, the world as much as possible. And that always took priority. And, you know, there was opportunities I would maybe have in, in the golf space to do something that I wasn't able to take, take advantage of because I was in Romania or Nigeria or something like that. So, use of my time now that i am you know essentially making a living off of it it's just easier to justify you know watching golf at, on thursday at three o'clock or something like that because that is actually <laughs> literally part of the job so um yeah it, it's different it's definitely different um it's a it's weird how much i work yet at the same time it doesn't really totally feel like work i mean i'm out following the last group at cj cup on an island off the coast of korea and on a Sunday, and I'm look back, look up, and I'm like, wow, I just worked like a 15 hour day, and didn't even notice it. So yeah. it didn't, it never felt like work. So in that regard, man, it's hard to, it's, it's. There's definitely certain aspects that you like less and less. The bigger the audience you get, the more trolls you get, the more negative feedback you might get, and that part is most definitely not enjoyable. But, uh, but no, overall, I'd say it's definitely, definitely, it's been fun since we started doing it full time. That's for sure. West Virginia gonna spring the upset on Saturday? You think? What's the what's the spread? I haven't like uh, I'm not pre- I wasn't fully prepared for this. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> OSU by uh, seven. Yeah, There's seven and a half maybe. I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's seven. I want to say be afraid, but we just beat Baylor by two, which I was sweating that <laughs> out, refreshing that on this other world. But um, I will I, I I can't really figure this team out. We've won all the games we were supposed to win. We've lost the two games that we were supposed to lose. So if that trend continues obviously you guys are safe but man we got this guy david sills this receiver he's up to i think 15 touchdowns on the year I'm, I, I have to believe that leads the country he's not like a breakaway speed guy he's just this huge huge white dude that catches balls every single ball thrown in his direction and he all he does is catch touchdown passes so uh he you might just have to budget two to three touchdowns for him and then <laughs> still count on your on your team being able to beat us but um I think we're still waiting for our best performing game of the year. It's kind of we've been close. Our offense has been good. Our defense just is not good. You guys, if you have a strong running game, you can run it right at our front seven or front six or whatever formation we use now and put us on our heels. So I wouldn't be too nervous if I were you. Um, I know a lot of West Virginia fans get a really bad reputation, but as the feedback from Big Twelve fans so far has been that the, the hospitality they receive in Morgantown is not is very good. It's strong. Wait, is the game in Morgantown this year? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I was, I, I know I, Kyle and I, is a mutual friend of ours is going, but I couldn't remember if he was going this year or next year. That makes, that makes sense. So, um, well, I'm yeah. going to the game and, uh, I've been to Morgantown before and it has been awesome. I, I love the fans there, but is there something I need to check out when I'm there? It's 11 AM game. So I'll have time afterwards probably to check something out. Um, you might, have you been to the basketball facilities before and seen the practice facility? No, I haven't. I've just been to the football stadium. 
That might be worth checking out. I mean, again, I didn't go to school there, so I don't know a whole lot about the campus. But every time we would go, we would go, you know, go into the basketball facility or, or go into uh, kind of like <clears throat> where the locker room is. It's on the I forget which end of the stadium it's on, but like the open end of the stadium is where the players come out of, and like their gym and stuff is back there. And you can tour the West Virginia Hall of Fame back there too. That's that's pretty sweet. But uh, and then yeah, the they built like a twenty five million dollar practice facility uh, back there. I forget exactly where. How to, I can't direct you there right now currently, but uh, it's pretty awesome. And the basketball team usually practices on Saturday for for whatever reason. I think Huggins loves to show 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 off the boys for the fans that kind of pop in. <laughs> but um, that's that's about it. Make sure you eat some pepperoni rolls and uh, don't be shy about walking up to a tailgate. They'll welcome you with open arms. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on, man. When are you going to be back in the states for the uh, for the game on Saturday? Um, let's. I leave here Saturday, but I think I still arrive on Saturday. I don't know exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> I cross the date line, so I leave Saturday, then it becomes Friday, then it becomes Saturday again. I don't know if I'll make it back. i got to check the time I actually land. I don't think I'll make it back in time for the game, though. So, But uh, expect to hear from me if we win, and just expect for me to be in, over the middle of the ocean if we lose. So. Yeah, that's that's how I figured it would go. So I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be uh, fully prepared for that. Uh, as always, safe travels. Appreciate your time. Uh, we're going to have you on, actually, for every West Virginia Oklahoma State event for the next 11 years. Um, to to uh, I'll be more prepared. To, <laughs> to uh, the, the, uh, by the way, I owe you a. Um, I'll send you a a credit to our store. You can get a you can get a mullet shirt if you want. Uh, yeah, I, nice. I, I owe you that after uh, after you you hitting me up with the the no lane up gear. So well, I'll shoot that over you to you. Equity. <clears throat> I owe you equity. No yeah, I'll up, so. I'll have some people call you about that part of it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, safe travels in Korea, and uh, we will we will talk again soon. Kyle Carson, thanks for having me. Okay, thanks, Ollie. Talk to you later. Okay, Carson, uh, was your first uh, Chris Solomon experience everything you wanted and more? Yeah, I feel like I'm part of the No Laying Up crew now. I can just call him Solly. I can probably. <laughs> I probably get a little more cred when I tweet the No Laying Up account now, so I'm I'm fired up. <laughs> He's the best. We just get together and and giggle and just have fun talking about golf and and whatever. I actually met him. He was in town in Dallas to play golf, and we just knew each other from Twitter. He invited me. I told Mrs. Pistols, I'm going to play golf with this guy I met on the internet, and <laughs> she was like, "Okay, that sounds weird, but." I'll see you later, and uh, yeah, pretty pretty cool to see what he's built, and he does an amazing job of, um, you know, and and, and I've I, in a lot of ways I've tried to model what what we do after what he does of just trying to ride the line ride the line of you're a fan of the stuff, but you're also covering the stuff, and I think there's a there's a fun middle ground in there that players and coaches and people that are in the sport they enjoy and fans can kind of relate to. And he's done such a good job of finding that sweet spot. Um, and so I've tried to emulate a, a lot of what he's done and uh, he, he definitely, I've told him this, but he deserves all the, all the success and all the, the accolades that he gets for, for the job that he's done at no laying up. Yeah, that's really cool. He's doing it full time now because no laying up, is really kind of the follow for, for golf really. I mean, if you want something that's entertaining, that's, that's who you follow. And that's, that's who I, monitor on you know sundays of a major i'm looking forward to their next tweet so he, he does a really good job and 
it's cool that you guys became friends on the internet because that's kind of how you and I became friends. With <laughs> so uh, people always assume, you know, you and I just went to school together and we're boys then. We really became friends afterwards. So yeah. that's, that's really cool. And, and it was good to hear his uh, perspective on, on Big Cat and, and West Virginia for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, we'll be back later in the week uh, for one more pod. I think we're actually going to have a guest for that one as well. So we might not do our mailbag, but we'll have to, uh, we'll have to figure that out. So uh, it's going to be a fun guest if we can get him. I, I'm, I'm still waiting to hear back. But uh, Carson, appreciate the time, and we will talk again soon. Sounds good. See yeah. you.